Welcome to the Farcast. This week, we're bringing you a bonus edition, the complete conversation between Michael Farr and Dr. Jay Bryson, recorded last week, November 30th. Last week's segment was edited for time, but when we have a guest who is so engaging, so informative as Dr. Bryson, we try to bring you the entire segment as well. So without further ado, here is your bonus Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world, bringing you some of the greatest minds from around the globe to provide you insights and a new approach and perspective as we try to discover and understand what's going on in the world around us and what it's going to mean to investors. We turn to a Farcast favorite, one of my great longtime friends, Dr. Jay Bryson, Managing Director, Chief Economist at Wells Fargo. He was an economist at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C., adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins University uh, in the School of uh, International Studies, actually, and an adjunct uh, professor also at Georgetown University, professor of economics. This very smart guy gets all of this. But the, uh, the great thing about Jay Bryson, uh, beyond being very nice, is that he speaks English. He really does. You understand what the hell he's talking about, and that's not true of many economists. Welcome back, Jay. Well, thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure to be back. I guess the I guess the uh, I guess the other thing I left out Maggie. I should never leave out Maggie. <laughs> no, don't great, do that. No. Best best thing about Jay Bryson is Maggie Bryson. I want to tell you right now. Okay, Jay, we've been talking about why the economy is so good and everybody hates it. This is the most hated, really good economy we've had in a long time. Why? I think what it has to deal with, Michael, is the big run-up we've seen in prices over the last few years. Now, the inflation rate, the rate of change uh, right now is actually pretty good. It's it's not back to the Fed's 2% target, but it's certainly moving back that way. But I think most people, you know, when they think about prices, they, they don't really distinguish between the price level and the rate of change. And they know that relative to three years ago, prices are up considerably, you know? And so, yes, inflation is coming back down, but prices are, remain very high. And it's just face it, prices of most goods and services are not going back to where they were three years ago. I mean, and you, you don't really want that. That's deflation. You know, you I talked know about that in my market commentary piece today, which is really more of an economic commentary piece for this week. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's what I've said. You know, as prices go up, uh, they don't come back down. Your rent might come off a little bit, but basically those landlords are going to keep that rent high. The cost of, as you were saying before we went on air, the price of a dozen eggs, it's still up. Now, gasoline prices are down and wages are indeed up and employment is pretty full and the uh, oil and energy production, oil production in the U.S. is high. It's higher than it was under the Trump administration, which is why I would fire every PR person that Joe Biden has. Uh, but to your point, I think you're, you're saying that Americans don't feel really good about what is really a good economy because they're paying more for stuff and they realize that the wage gains they've gotten aren't really keeping up with the new prices they're facing? Is that what you're saying? 
Well, no, I'm just saying, so when, in terms of the wage gains, when we do look at real disposable income, so that's your income after in inflation-adjusted terms and um, after taxes. Another way to talk about that is purchasing power. Real disposable income is trending higher again. And, 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 and just look at what's happening to consumer spending. Con con uh, people continue to go out and spend. I, as an economist, tend to look more at what people do rather than what they say when I'm trying yeah. to measure what's going on in the economy. But I just think it's just the psychological thing, right? Prices went up very fast, very, you know, very, very quickly. We haven't experienced that in most, many Americans haven't experienced that ever, right? I mean, the last time we saw high inflation, Michael, you and I were a lot younger than we are today, right? Back in, in the early, early 1980s. So many Americans haven't experienced that sort of inflation. And that came as a psychological shock to them they still look at where prices are today and they say, geez, they're significantly higher. This economy's crappy. And um, I, I think that's kind of what's what's going on. Prices are higher. The economy's crappy. I still think they're doing a lousy sales job on it, but I, I, I totally get it. And disposable income going up. Are you worried about these credit card balances? Are you worried about these buy now, pay later? I was reading about uh, people who are starting to do the buy now, pay later thing for groceries. I mean, that really scares me when I see Americans making those sorts of decisions. Credit card balance is over a trillion dollars in the U.S. What do you make of the debt that we're taking on in order to maintain our spending? Do I lay awake at night right now worrying about that? No. I mean, I guess what I would say, Michael, is that we are seeing cracks in terms of the consumer, right? We are seeing credit card debt rising pretty significantly. Now, it's still relative to disposable income. It's still at relatively manageable sort of levels. We've been higher before in that sort of ratio. Um, but we are seeing cracks. You know, the, the delinquencies on credit cards are rising. Delinquencies on, on auto loans are also starting to rise. Um, but in general, when I look at the financial health of the overall consumer sector today, in aggregate, it's pretty good. Um, if you look at the debt to income ratio, it's about 100%. Right before the financial crisis, it was at 130%. Um, if you look at other metrics in terms of cash flow about what consumers can spend um, you know, relative to what their obligations are, those metrics are all really pretty good. It's not saying that every consumer out there is in pristine health. I mean, that's never true, right? But when you look at it in aggregate, the financial health of the consumer sector today is actually pretty good. You, you know, you said when we first started here, you talked about my bio, you talked about how I used to be a professor of economics. So I know how to give letter grades. If I had to give a letter grade to the financial health of the household sector today, it's probably a solid B. Now, a solid maybe, B, that's really good because, you know, when you got- an I know when you were in college, Michael, a solid B was really good, right? Let me tell you something. My favorite story is uh, is Fred Smith's when they when, you know, he drew up the design, the whole business plan for FedEx as a Harvard School business product project. And I was I was at lunch with Fred years ago and this someone asked and they said, did you really were you really given a C? Did you really get a C for the whole FedEx business design? And he said, you know, I get asked that all the time. It's really kind of folklore. And they they said yes or no. And he goes, OK, fine. 
Yes is the answer, but what people don't understand is that a C was not a bad grade for me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> all, a, it's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative. It, you know, a charming guy. B, you're damn right. B was a great grade. Uh, and by and you know every every teacher I ever uh, ever had has lost twenty dollars on me. Honest to God, they were thinking, no, 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 no. Far would be doing time. Uh, you know, and not on a golf course, uh, you know, unless maybe a minimum security place. Some of those have nine whole things. All right. Uh, so, Jay, the economy's in good shape. Uh, we seem to be in this period where the in rate of inflation is coming down. People have jobs. All of this, the data are looking pretty good. And yet people are still expecting, a lot of economists still expecting recession. In fact, our economist, Keith Davis, by the way, I think he's excellent, and I'm sure I'm prejudiced some, but I'm, I'm a tough grader. If we're going to go back to grades, I'm a tough grader because um, not only he's worked for me for 20 years, but what happens to me in public relies a lot on his research and what he's telling me to do. And if he makes me look bad, I'm not forgiving. Uh, he doesn't make me look bad. He's saying we're in a Goldilocks phase. And here's Keith's point. We always pass through a Goldilocks phase before we hit a down leg. Everything's always just fine for a while. And he believes that these persistently higher interest rates uh, established by the Fed have created a headwind to the economy, enough of a stomp on the brakes on economic growth, if you will, that it will lead to a more significant slowdown as these hikes even of the past six months ago, continue to show their effect in the next six months, and he continues to expect a recession for those reasons. Do you agree with him? Is he right? And do you expect we'll hit recession? Uh, that still is our base case that there is a modest downturn. Now, I don't feel a great deal of conviction about that. What, what I have a stronger conviction on is we are looking at a number of quarters in 2024 in which growth will be lousy at best. And it's because of, of what you're just talking about there, the, the high interest rates that we have. What, what really matters for the real economy, what really matters for real economic growth at the end of the day is not where that nominal interest rate is. So the Fed funds rate in nominal terms is roughly five and a half percent. It's the real rate. It's that rate minus inflation. And what's happening, we talked about this earlier, is inflation is coming down. The nominal interest rate is staying high. So what's happening is the real interest rate is rising. Even though the Fed's on hold right now, there's a passive tightening of monetary policy that's going on. And that's going to lead to, you used the word headwinds, that's yeah. going to lead to headwinds to real economic growth in early 2024. Again, whether we have an actual downturn or not, it's very difficult to know at this point. But I think at best, growth in the first few quarters of 2024 is going to be lousy. Let's call okay, it so 1% things, or less. So things, what did you say, percent or less? 1% or less. 1% uh, or less. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Uh, so what you're telling me is the patient uh, is going to get sick. The patient is not going to feel well, but the patient may not be hospitalized. And uh, this group, the NBER, will they actually call this thing a recession, Jay? So first of all, if they do, they're not going to do that for 
quite some time, probably 2025. They wait until they see all the revised data and yada, yada, yada. If we do have a recession, I think it will be one of the mildest recessions that we have experienced. Um, but again, we're not going to know. We will, if we go into recession, we will be out of the recession before the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, declares we were in one. So if I'm Jay Powell and my job is price stability and full employment, uh, am I doing a victory lap now? You know, I think it's too early to start doing that. They've got one of the things, full employment. We're actually probably above full employment at this point. So they would actually kind of want to you know, slow the labor market down, bring the unemployment rate up a little bit so you get some wage moderation. I, I, I think it's it's still a little bit too early to declare victory in terms of inflation. We're not so, quite uh, people we're not People are calling, there. you know, for the Fed to cut rates and they're 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 breathless about when the Fed's going to cut rates. And I continue to make the point, you don't want the Fed to cut rates. They don't do that just to make sure stock prices are going to keep going up. They do that to keep the economy from collapsing and slowing down and going into recession again. So if we go through one of these things uh, and the Fed has to do, does the Fed have to do anything? Will they cut rates in 2024? Uh, or do you think that perhaps they've gotten it so right that they can continue to sit on the sidelines and let the economy work itself out. No, I think they definitely will be cutting rates next year. The question is by how much, right? So if we go into recession next year, um, even if it's a modest one, the Fed will be cutting a lot next year, more than what's a priced lot. in the market. A lot. What, what's priced into markets right now is about 100 basis points of rate cuts next year. If we go into a recession next year, you're looking at more than that. You're probably looking at two to 250 or something like that. But but even if we don't go into recession, as long as inflation continues to come down, remember that thing we're talking about, the real interest rate, right? In order to keep the real interest rate constant, and if inflation's falling, the Fed has to be cutting rates next year, yes. or else they're going to be tightening monetary policy. So I think one way or another, you're going to see the Fed tightening, or sorry, easing next year. If the Fed's on hold next year, I would say that's not, if they keep the rate at 550, that's not good because that means inflation's not coming down. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not good in the long run. Give me your best bet then, Jay. Uh, 100 basis points in cuts or 200, 250 basis I'll, points in cuts? So I'll take the over on 100. Um you know, would I take the over on 200 to 250? No, I probably, you know, knowing what I know right now, I think I would probably take the under on that. So I'm going to say somewhere between 100 to 200, depending on how the economy transitions next year. But I think 100 is kind of a minimum what we're looking at next year. So if you're looking at that scenario, why wouldn't I back up the truck and make sure I buy stocks now? I mean, it's going to might have a slow period and I could try and time it. But hell, if I've got the Fed cutting rates like that in a year um, that they, they will they will stimulate again. Uh, you've got a presidential election doesn't, by the way, doesn't that risk them having to cut rates maybe in the summer before a presidential election? How do they deal with that, too? I know I just asked you three different questions. Sorry. Well, let's just deal with that last one. I mean, so there's this big myth, uh, or I'll call it an urban myth out there, that the Fed can't move in an election year be because it's an election year. That, that's just 
patently not right. I mean, the Fed is always moving in an election year. Now, would they prefer perhaps in October of 2024 not to be changing monetary policy? Yeah, everything else equal, right? But if you go back and you look at history, um, in almost every presidential election year in recent history, they've been moving during that that, that election year. So they're not going to let politics get in, in the way of, of that. Um, okay. What was your other question? You had three questions. I can't remember them all. <laughs> Harry can edit all this out, right? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God, I hope so. Uh, uh, why wouldn't we buy stocks in here? Oh, why wouldn't we buy stocks? Back, why wouldn't we back up the truck and buy stocks yeah. here if we really think the Fed in six months going to be cutting rates again? Okay, so so I'm not a market strategist. I'm not I'm not you. So I'm going to let you know. I I'm not going to answer that question directly. But what I would say is, um, a hundred basis points of rate cuts are already priced into the market at this point. Um, and, and so, but you know, in, in general, I do believe that it, it is the economy half empty or half full right now in terms of the glass. In general, I think the economy is half full, uh, right? We may have a period of subtrend growth next year, but when I look at the underlying fundamentals of the U.S. economy today, they're actually it's pretty good. Leverage in the household sector is is quite low. Uh, leverage in the business sector has come up over the last few years, but the ability for businesses to service their debt right now is uh, paramount. paramount. Uh, when, when, when interest rates went really low a few years ago, lots of businesses turned out their debt. And now they're right. looking at fixed rate debt. And yes. so their, their ability to service that debt is actually pretty good. So we may have a soft patch early 2024, but if you're asking me about 25, um, I think 2025, knowing what I know right now today, I think it'll be a halfway decent year in terms of the overall economy. Inflation continues to come down. I think growth will actually be pretty decent in 2025. This, so this, the underlying fundamentals of the economy remain pretty good right now. What happens to the dollar in that scenario for 2024 and 2025 when the Fed, if the Fed actually, if we get a slowdown, we have the cuts. Because if I'm looking at my multinational corporations, the dollar can provide a headwind or a tailwind. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the currency? I think that probably what will happen is the dollar will. Uh, so if a year from now, will the dollar be stronger or weaker versus most currencies? Again, knowing what I know right now today, my guess is the dollar is going to be modestly weaker, you know, five to 10 percent lower versus most major currencies. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Fed's going to be you know, cutting um, next year. But other major central banks, the European Central Bank, Bank of England, Bank of Canada, will probably also be cutting rates next year as well. But they just won't be cutting it as much as the Fed. You know, the Fed took rates up much more than those other major central banks. So I think you'll see more rate cuts here um, than in those other major economies. And that will put some downward pressure on, on the U.S. dollar. Dr. Jay Bryson, thank you so much for being with us. I always learn so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Dr. Bryson is chief economist at Wells Fargo, uh, was an adjunct professor, of course, uh, at Georgetown uh, University, Johns Hopkins University, uh, and 
worked as an economist at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C., and has been my great friend for many years. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Michael. Please tell Lori we said uh, we said hi. Get our, our give her our best and uh, happy holidays to you and your in your family. Thank you, thank you, and to you and yours and Maggie and it's just yeah. Please, please to everybody, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for another forecast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world here on November thirtieth, coming into the last month of the year. We're going to take a break next week because I'm going to be traveling. Uh, I'll try and get perhaps an abbreviated forecast in. I'm going to try but we'll certainly be back the following week. For all of us at the Farcast, Farm Miller in Washington, Hightower Advisors, our producer, Harry Jennings, and me. Thanks so much. Thanks for sharing on social media. Thousands more listeners. We really appreciate it. Keep the cards and letters coming. We answer them. I'm very grateful to each of you. And I'm Michael Farr. We'll see you next week. And that's it for this bonus episode of the Farcast. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back with you next week with our usual format, and our scheduled special guest is Farcast fan favorite, Jenny Harrington. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Thanks for listening to the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Bar Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented in any way to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisors or related questions.